0: Well, hey everybody, and welcome to episode 156 of the podcast. My name is Kerry Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. Well, I'm excited about this episode for about a thousand reasons. Man, this is like a, this is like a full season. So we have an incredible uh, couple of guests today in Wit and Willie George. So Willie George founded Church on the Move in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Number of years ago, uh, you may know him from back in the day as Gospel Bill, but he built also an incredible church. I mean, Church on the Move. This is this is unreal. Like for 30 years, it has stayed current, and over the last few years, he's been working on a transition with his son Wit. And this is an issue that impacts just so many leaders. Um, who started things, and now they're big, and like, who's going to take over from that? Some of you are facing that right now, and uh, it's something that I've navigated over the last couple of years at Connexus Church, where I'm now the founding pastor. We talked about that in episode 110, um, but just this summer, Wit and Willie passed the baton, so Willie handed it over to Wit, and Wit is now the lead pastor of Church on the Move, and I sat down with them literally days after the transition, happened. And uh, man, what a powerful interview. So you're going to learn so much in this one. And what was really neat is we did this as part of the SEEDS conference. So uh, we actually have video of it and you can find the link in the show notes. So that's kerrynewhoff.com episode 156. Also got something really fun for you guys uh, starting next week. We are three years old. Can you believe that? And you know how we celebrate around here. Every time we hit a milestone, You benefit because you're the people who built this podcast. So, we're giving away more Starbucks than we've ever given away before. And uh, this is going to be a lot of fun. We're giving away a complete resource library of everything I've created over the last number of years. So, the grand prize will be you get all three published books, you get all of my courses, including Lasting Impact Team Edition, The High Impact Leader, even though it's not open right now. We're going to give you access to that. And you get my brand new course, which is coming out this month called Breaking 200 Without Breaking You. And so we're going to give you um, immediate access as soon as it's available uh, to that brand new course. So, hey, that all starts next Tuesday. So, if you haven't subscribed yet, that's the easiest way to make sure that you're not going to miss out on this contest because every day we're giving away copious amounts of Starbucks. All the details to this are in the show notes. So, you can go to carrienewhoff.comslash episode 156. Here's what I'd recommend. Start following me now on three channels. That's where the giveaway is going to happen. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Instagram, I'm Kerry Newhoff. Facebook, C. Newhoff. Same thing on Twitter, C. Newhoff. So I know you can't spell that, so just go to the show notes. Uh, Go to leadlikeneverbefore.com, type in episode 156. You'll find it all there. Follow me there. Turn on notifications, and you can win. And we'll share more about how to win the grand prize of the complete library of all the resources I've created for church leaders and for people and uh, yeah, we'll share more about that next week. Also, what are you doing this fall to invest in yourself? I know a lot of you are trying to turn churches around, and that, that can be challenging. I get that. I, I've done that, I'll tell you. It's not for the faint of heart, but maybe you just need some practical training, and what would it be like to spend a few days with people who have done it? In 2003, Amplify Church was a church of 200 on the verge of closing its doors, because it used to be a lot bigger. It was dying. The average age of members was over 50. And fast forward to today, it's a church of over 2,000 with multiple locations. Average age has dropped to 35. And it's all about how to lead change for a new generation. Future Forward Conference is something hosted by Lee Kreicher and his team in Pittsburgh, and it's happening October 24th through October 26th. So, Actually, it's happening at the same venue that the Orange Tour is happening later that week. So if you're going to Orange Tour Pittsburgh, you might want to go a couple of extra days early and check out the Future Forward Conference. If you're not planning on going to Orange Tour, number one, you should. But number two, make sure you go a few days early to Future Forward. You can find everything at futureforwardconference.com. Also... I know a lot of you are trying to train your volunteers and the good folks at TrainedUp.Church are doing an unbelievable job helping so many churches solve this problem. I was on a call with a leader recently and we were talking about, you know, training volunteers and the reality that the vast majority of churches don't do a good job because you host your Saturday event or your Wednesday night event and half your volunteers show up. And that means that some of them honestly are not trained. Like, think about it. What if 30% 30% of the small group leaders in your church are not trained. Does that not strike a little bit of fear in you? It, it does in most lead pastors. And the challenge is whenever you do training in a, in a physical environment, you're going to have a dropout rate. But what if you moved your training online? That's what TrainedUp.Church is designed to do. It's designed to solve the problem of getting all your volunteers trained. They can do it a number of different ways. Number one, you can do all your, you know, film all your training and upload it to their server. And then you can see who's trained and who's not. And it gives people an opportunity to train on their own time. Maybe you want to do the training, but you don't have video equipment. Yeah, they'll rent you video equipment. They'll even write the script. Or maybe you're like, no, I don't want to do any of that. I just want them trained. Well, they've got pre-done training videos ready for you. Go check out trainedup.church and uh, tell them we sent you. Well, in the meantime, thanks everybody for making this a great three years. Next week, the big party begins. And in the meantime, uh, a powerful and actually at times very moving conversation. At Church on the Move, we filmed this at the Seeds Conference live. Here is my conversation with Whit George and his successor, Willie George.
1: Uh, what we wanted to do here was just uh, take this time that we had to let Kerry do what he does best, which is uh, interview and kind of draw information out of uh, the people that he talks to. So we have asked him if he would maybe talk to my dad and I about um, just transition and kind of the journey that we've been on. And so um, Kerry's got a list of questions, and we'll let you do what you do. Kerry, go for it.
0: Thanks, Whit. <laughs> Thanks so much, Pastor George. I want to start with you, Pastor George. What made you decide it was time? It was time to hand things over. It was time for you not to be really the only thing you've ever been at this church, which is the lead pastor.
2: Well, there were two things. Number one, I could see that Whit had his finger on the pulse of where the church needed to go, of exactly what to do. He was very confident of what needed to happen. And as he would share things, I realized he's got wisdom That God is not giving me. I mean, once he shares it, I can see it, but I'm not the one to initiate it. It's not like it used to be. That used to come to me. Hmm. And that's what I was always confident in, that I always would have a sense and would know where the church needed to go, how we needed to get there. And I could clearly see that that was now going to wit, not come to me. The other thing is, is that slowly over the last three years, once we made Whit executive pastor, he restructured the ministry. He restructured the team. He, I had twelve direct reports. Whit whittled that down to like five or six for himself, and he simplified things and redid the staff and and created such a great uh, flow of, of of teamwork in the staff. It was healthier than anything I ever had.
1: Hmm.
2: And, and I saw the, the leadership developing, and, 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 and it was no longer my team, it was his team. Wow. All very respectful of me, but I could tell, you can't expect people, once you begin to let that go, you can't expect people to look to two heads. They're going to pick one or the other. And I could see that it was only natural for them to gravitate toward wit. So I thought, I'm going to let this happen. And I think that the way I operated ministry, carry for all the years that I did, I had a lot of very well-known people on my team. Jim Weidman being one of them, Blaine Bartell, Ken Blunt. I had a lot of guys who worked with me that a lot of people knew. My guys traveled. I never had a problem, ego-wise, sharing the spotlight with other people. And I certainly didn't have a problem with that with my son. But I could just see, he's seeing it, I'm not. And then here's our 30th anniversary, and I thought, you know what, let's just do it.
0: It's time. Yeah. It's time. I, I love what you said at the beginning, too, because when we were backstage yesterday, you had shared that with me, um, that, and you said something that really crystallized in my mind, too. And I think the way you phrased it was, that you weren't seeing into the future as much as you used to see the future. And you felt that wit was seeing the future a lot more clearly than you were. And that's something that really resonated with me because I would say for the couple of years before I made the transition that I made two years ago, I was actually having trouble seeing the future, not the future, but the future of our church. Like usually as a leader, you have a picture, oh yeah, five years from now, it's going to look like this, or we'll have eight campuses, or we'll be like this, or, you know. And I wonder, I wonder if you've really put your finger on something that's important for a leader that when you don't have a, a clear picture of the future or, an, you know, even that, that drive to the future, that that may be one sign you need to really pay attention to.
2: No, no I, I think it's very important. And unfortunately, there are a lot of guys who are strong, strong leaders that don 't recognize that, as we age and get deeper into our our careers, that um, God is going to put people around us that we need to begin to pay attention to and listen to that will always help us reach down, they always enable us to reach a new generation, which team they always interpreted me to the new generation in our meetings they said. Um, I was going to preach a series one time on loyalty. And they came back and they said, Dad, uh, can we rename that? What's wrong with loyalty? Loyalty is a big deal. And they said, what if we have a series called Don't Throw Me Under the Bus? (laughs) So our generation gets Don't Throw Me Under the Bus. And so we've got a whole series on Don't throw me under the bus. And we talked about husbands, wives, and friends, employees. All of these different relationships where people appreciate not being thrown under the bus. And I realized they see that I would never have thought about that. That's just one of those things that hit me. I thought, how many other things are going on that I don't quite get? You know, I I, I came in in a really short pair of jogging shorts about seven, eight years ago. And my daughter-in-law laughed at me behind my back. <laughs> and she told my wife about how I came in. I'd been working out and, and I was running and I had these super short shorts on and she told about And I didn't realize those were out of style. I mean, I'm just going for comfort. And no, it was, it was summer. And uh, Gabe's wife, that's why he's in Cal- California now. But... <laughs> <laughs> But, you you know, it's just little things like that you realize, okay, there was a day that I I, I had my finger on cool, but it's not there anymore.
0: (laughs) I want you guys to hear the humility in what we just heard as we opened up this conversation. That takes incredible self-awareness, humility, and a deference to others, which I think is, they're all characteristics of, of awesome leadership. And so thank you for there. Whit, I'm gonna uh, throw this over to you. And I know this is a bit of a false question, but how did you know you were ready? Or, and you're probably like, well, I don't. But <laughs> how did you get to the point where you realize, you know what, I'm, I prayed about this, I'm gonna give this a shot?
1: Yeah, I, you know, so maybe there's different stages along the way for that. There's different seasons of, I would say, for me in being ready. And they all kind of came down to somewhat the same issue. How badly do I want this? And do I want it for the right reasons? So there were a lot of, there was a lot of different times over the years where I had to kind of heart check and ask, am I still like, like, am I, am I doing this for the right reasons or, or, or do I want this for me more than for the church or really honest motives or whatever? And Whenever he told me, I don't know, three months ago, he said, hey, I'm inclined to make you the lead pastor in July, um, my reaction was, uh, we don't need to do that. Like, it's not necessary. I feel good where I'm at. I like what I'm doing. We don't have to do this now.
0: Let's not Cause do it. Because you moved out of creative arts, what, two yeah, years ago? Yeah, so I moved out, out of the ago? arts, yeah, three years ago. And and you and, were basically COO. Yeah, yeah. basically running, running Running the church. The church.
1: Yeah, and, and so... For all, for all intents and purposes, I was the lead pastor without the one, the critical component was the vision component. And so he came to me and was like, you know, do uh, what, if, what if we do this? And I just said, let's not do it unless we really feel like it's necessary. I just, and ha- having looked back on that, I would say, I think that's a really healthy place to be where it's not... Um, I. There's a, do I, is it to say I don't want to be the lead pastor of the church? No, that's that's not it. It's just you don't you don't need it for any ego reason or for anything right. that you're trying to prove to anybody. That you really do want to serve.
0: So you were happy with the responsibility without necessarily the title. Or the yeah, I, you know, in some ways, that. I was
1: like, I'm in a pretty sweet position yeah, here. <laughs> I get to do it without <laughs> all
0: the He's the, eyes he's being the on senior
1: me. guy, but I'm the one running, you know, calling the shots. Yeah. So he kind of becomes like the deflector shield, and I'm just back here operating. That was a pretty sweet deal. But but then also just learning after that that okay, for the church to move forward, this does need to happen. Yeah. And when we realized yeah, that important. it was like, yeah. okay, the church has yeah. the church comes first, and for the church to move forward, this this has to happen. And I, so I think that was part of just kind of knowing if you can ever be ready for something like that. I think it's 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 receiving it from a healthy place. I'm not trying to take it from you. And there were there were there were seasons where I was in that in that place where I was you know hoping this would happen. Why don't you please? Um, I think getting beyond all of that, and that's that, that was just, that t- takes a lot of heart work that had to happen yeah. in me.
2: Yeah.
0: Got to ask you why, why wit? Um, you know,
2: you know that, that that's a great question. Of all the questions that you kind of gave us ahead of time to look at, that one stood out to me. Why wit? Along the way, the last 23 years, I've never been the first one to promote wit. It has always been. His immediate supervisor, Hmm. and we, to my knowledge, have never had anyone scream nepotism. It's never happened. Yeah, we've never dealt with that. And
0: and to be fair, you started at the bottom. At the bottom, wasn't it grounds crew or something? Yeah, Yeah. right out there. You were mowing the lawn. (laughs) Yeah, okay.
2: Part of the reason that I got him out of the landscaping stuff is he had bad allergies and his eyeballs would swell up. So I, I thought, <laughs> you know, I, I need to move him indoors. But uh, uh, anyway, his people would come and say, you know what, Witt really ought to be doing this. I think you ought to elevate him. Hmm. They, uh, when, when 180 was going strong, a lot of people don't realize that behind the scenes it was Witt making it go. The ideas that made 180 happen; those were Whit's ideas. I had a few that I threw in, but and and I I was the one who led the charge. But it was Whit that helped me understand youth culture and um, and the youth culture of his day. But uh, two of our guys, two of my department heads, came to me and said, "We want Whit to be the praise and worship leader at 180." I said, "Guys, two things: Whit can't sing, and Whit can't play the guitar. (laughs) He has a guitar." but he does not play it well. And they said, we don't care. We will turn down the mic, and his guitar will be dead. We just want him on the stage. He's that kind of a leader. And it's not the musicianship, it's the leadership. Now, he got better after that, but at the time, he was just beginning. But they said, what we want more than anything is his presence. His presence is what young people look to. And he's just unnatural. A, a and so all along the way, uh, Wit was not a department head in the beginning. And it was other people who came and said to me, Witt needs to be in these meetings every week. He needs to be in this room. And it was always other people. Uh, when Witt began to speak, uh, it was like one time every six or eight months. Uh, and, uh, and he labored over his messages. Man, he, he just... He just poured over messages. They were, it was so hard for him to put a message together in a short period of time. He did a good job, but, but I, I, I couldn't get him to do two in a row. And, uh, and, and really the church didn't want him to do two in a row. No. <laughs> but, but the one time, pe- people begin to realize he's growing. Mm. And so uh, what happened is I started hearing from people, when are you gonna let Whit preach again? Man, well what he shared was great. And we started hearing it from the people that, that I'm not having to sell him. They're buying. They're, they're seeing it. They're getting it. And what I saw was that nobody had a better, greater heart for the church than Whit. That's the thing I saw. That's what convinced hmm. me. He had the communication stuff, was growing, but nobody had a greater heart for the church than him.
0: Well, and that's wonderful to see because what you're saying is you saw his leadership ability affirmed in others over and over again, which I think is always the criticism if you have a nepotism situation. It's like you think you see things that nobody else sees, and that's wonderful to to actually have the staff and the team and the congregation be pushing for promotion as opposed to the dad who's like, let's keep this all in the family, or frankly, take nepotism out of it. Just somebody that you happen to like who is, you know, your golf buddy or whatever that nobody else sees, sees the value in. Um, this wasn't an overnight decision. I know it was a surprise for some in the congregation, but walk us through the process just from a change management standpoint for all of us of when, let's start with you, Pastor George. So when the idea first came in your mind, you know what, at some point I'm gonna have to give this up to the beginning of the conversation. And then you guys did this consultation quietly behind the scenes over the last few months that I want you to talk about as well. So walk us through the process that led up to this past Sunday.
2: You know, I knew it would eventually come. I didn't have it on my radar this quick. I had a conversation four years ago with Tom Mullins, who made a wonderful transition to his son, Tom, and he talked to me about the process they went through, and and Tom was very encouraging to me to let it go. And I, and I didn't feel like this was the time. I felt like we, yeah, I, but, but at the same time, I felt like that God put him in our lives to begin to break open that thought, to, yeah. to dare to accept that thought. And so I, I began to accept that thought and that, okay, this is closer than we think. And I got to tell you, the thought of of me not being the head guy, that really got to me. It took me a little while to, to accept that. I mean, that's just, you know, I've been the leader of my own ministry since 1980. I mean, right. you know, so... The, <laughs> that's a long time. Uh, yeah. So even before the church, I was leading and making the decisions. And and so I uh, began to think, okay, this is going to be different. But then the other thing, I, I, I'm a winner. And, and um, you know, it's like this last year when Tony Romo for the Dallas Cowboys was was watching Dak Prescott, he had to admit, the kid's a better quarterback this year than I am. And and he didn't create a big scene by insisting that he start. Hmm. And I thought, you know, I, I'm not the quarterback. I can be on this team, but I'm not the quarterback. And I want to get out of his way. And, and and so in the last year, I really begin to think, this it's gonna happen, this is it, I'm feeling it. The other thing is, I could feel myself letting go. And I thought, I don't want to wade back into all this. I mean, there's some things we need to do. There's some organizational structure we got to. I don't want to do that. I don't have the patience for it. That's one thing. As you get older, you lose a lot of your patience, you know. And <laughs> and so I, I I begin to see this, this is the time. I don't have the eye that I used to have, and my finger's not on the pulse. And I really see
0: God's really gifted him to do this. That's how you knew. Walk through the process, and yeah. what were some of the meetings that you did yeah. um, to get... Because it's one thing for the two of you to be ready, and we've yeah. talked about that aspect of it, but you got like 8,000, 10,000 people that you now have to prepare for right. this transition so they don't all go elsewhere.
1: Yeah, so like he said in the beginning, the very, very beginnings of this were just whispers. It was almost right. like you don't yep. even dare say it. No, we didn't it's say it. Even it between It's the in two my of mind. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it, I mean... You know, you go back ten years ago. There were I, I knew it was there. It was like it was a lurking ago. way, yeah, yeah, way under. Just like I, like one day, yeah. no clue when, but you just think, you know, one day. But we didn't talk about it. And then, and then he had the conversation with Tom Mullins, and then from there we were in a. I was in a meeting with him. And he was talking about a, a campus across town, and he was saying, do we, don't we, do we? And he was asking me and another guy, and I said, look, Dad, you know, it's your church. You're the leader here. I'll follow you. If you want to do it, let's do it. If you don't, you know, let's not. I, I'll go wherever you want to go. I'm not sure that I have a lot to say about it. He looked at me and he said, well, Whit, I think you do have a lot to say because one day this is all going to be yours, and you need to, you're going to be leading this, and, you know, you need to have an opinion. I was like, whoa, where did that come from? Wow. You know? That, that I had, you know, he'd never said that to me like that. And so I said, man, I'm going to have to kind of take a minute because there was a season earlier in my life where I had to really lay down the desire to be the, like when I, when I was early called to, to, to ministry, I saw myself doing this. but and, and You and saw I, yourself doing
0: this yeah, as lead?
1: Yeah, and I, and wow. I wanted... And I wanted to make that happen right away. Back you know, being when you were young and naive, lawn, you're just, you no, no, leader. no, not oh. then. So yeah. it would have been '05 or so. Okay, so probably about 12 years. So 12
0: years—that's a long time.
1: Yeah, so, so like you're like, I, years. I, or maybe '03. Yeah, 12, 15 years ago, knew this would happen, and of course, then you wanted to happen right away. <laughs> Why not? I'm ready.
2: Oh, this he wanted to reform the whole church right then. Yeah, I mean, and I, mean, I would have done it. And, and it was really frustrating. And I got sick of Andy Stanley. I don't want to hear Andy Stanley's name anymore. Because I am not going to be Andy Stanley. I hate Mark Driscoll. I don't want to hear his name. Don't even talk. And, and, and it's because every time I turned around, Mark Driscoll said this, Andy Stanley says that. And I know he wants me to preach like that. I can't, nobody can preach like Andy Stanley. And, and so we went through this, this push there for a while.
1: And he asked me one, there was a particular weekend, and this might have been more than once, but at least one weekend, he said, I want you to think about leaving. Really? Yeah. dat So... He was just like, I can't, I, he, he basically said, and, 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 and I understand where he's coming from now, especially as I sit in the seat that I sit in now, he goes, but I can't, he goes, "Wit, I just can't lead and have you second guess every decision that I'm making. And, I, and so I did. I wow. went home. And Heather and I talked, and we prayed, and it didn't take long. God was gracious because He he knows I'm not patient, and and, and in a very short period of time, I like, I I knew it didn't take long. I knew I wasn't supposed to leave. So what I had to do internally was say, "Okay, I had to get to the place where it's like, if this never happens, I'm supposed to be here. If this never happens, I'm going to stay here because this is where I'm called." So when he asked me, he said, "Hey, one day this will be yours. What do you think?" I said, "Dad." man, I kind of shut that part of my life down. Like, I don't think about that anymore. And I'm nervous about opening that door again because I don't want to unlock a bunch of feelings and honestly frustrations mm-hmm. that might sour our relationship. I have no idea when you're, talk- when you're thinking this is going to happen. Yeah. So I said, I- I'm going to need some time to process that. I went to, it was I think the very next week or maybe two weeks later, we were both in Jacksonville and that's when I heard Tom and Todd Mullen speak for the first time and then... And then me and him had a real heart-to-heart talk. And then, okay. so that's what led to me being executive pastor. And I had been feeling things before all of that, like I knew I could do more for Church on the Move. But I, one of the things, and I, this is just, I don't know if this is universal or if this is just my story, but I'll just say it. I think one of the things for younger leaders, at least for me, I think it's better not to ask for these positions. Yeah. I felt like I could be doing more for him. I, I saw the way the church was structured. I was like, we could restructure this thing. It could work better like this. And I kept thinking, I want to sit down with him and say, give this to me. But I just kept thinking, I can't. Wow, It's not right for me to sit down and say, he's just going to have to see it when he sees it. And if that never happens, then I'm still supposed to be here. So I just waited. So when we had that conversation on the beach, it really unlocked a lot of that stuff. And that opened the door for you know, a lot of the, the, the leadership change in terms of me leading the staff and so forth. And then... You know, we would have conversations. But even, even in the even in the last three years, there have been conversations where he's like, "Wit, I feel like you're pushing me." And I, I and what's, where's this coming from? And he asked me point blank. He goes, "What have I not given you that you would want?" I said, "Dad, I, d- I didn't realize I was doing it, and I had to think about it." And it's there. It's yeah. just learned. So you have to go back, and it's hard work again. And you go back, and you reprocess, it's so like, and that, that's why whenever he said, hey, we're ready to do this, I said, oh, that's all right, because I really meant it. Like, that's the mm. place that I was at. I've gotten is, there.
0: This is the, the, the wonderful part of this discussion. It's humility on both ends, because, you know, a leader, sign of leadership is, of course, if you're not the guy in charge... Any leader thinks they could do a better job. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter, you know? And there are guys, I'm sure, at Mark Driscoll's church back in the day or at Andy's <laughs> church who think they could do a better job, right? right. I, I would have handled that better. That's just the nature of leadership. And so that push-pull, I appreciate how transparent you're both being because we all feel that push-pull. Some of you are not the senior leader, and you're like, well, i would be doing that better. And then I get the, you just need to shut up because I'm leading this right now, and... Um, I just can't hear about how awesome everybody else is and how I'm messing up, right? Yeah, and, I get that.
2: And, and, you know, insecurity is not a thing I've ever had a problem with
0: hmm.
2: until five years ago. Really? Yeah. And I thought, I don't preach good anymore. I don't preach like these guys. Um, I, re- I, I really began to struggle with my own identity. And it's because of looking over the fence at all these other guys that we can watch on websites, and you see how good they are and all of that. And but if it's not you, it's intimidating. Yeah. And then here's the other thing: all these young guys that grow up in your church quit, and all of the guys that his generation—they all grow up in the church. I, I like to tell them, "You guys grew up under the table, and you see all the gum on the bottom of the table." I'm not under the table. I haven't been playing down there in a long time. And so I don't see the gum on the bottom of the table. Uh, Where I sit from, everything looks great. It's nice up here. And you guys see all the warts. You're more familiar with the warts. You see the systems that don't work. I don't see the systems that don't work. I'm kind of flying on the high spots. And so I don't get to see all that stuff like you do. You're more aware of that. So that's why they're more frustrated with wanting to see things go along. And you as a leader, you're, you're thinking, hey, it's going pretty good. you and, know. And so that's why it, it kind of caught me off guard. And, um, uh, and you think, okay, I must be doing terrible because they want it so bad. They want to change things so much.
1: And I think as a son sometimes you can, you know, we all are familiar with fathers vicariously living through their sons. But yes. I think sons can especially in a leadership role like this, you can try to vicariously live through your dad. Mm. And all the things that, you know, all the Andy Stanley, the whatever, those were all my preaching influences. Sure. Yeah. And so I'm, you know, since I don't have the outlet for it like he does, it's like, well, why don't you? And the, so, so, so the, but the closer we, you know, the more I've understood about this, it's like learning to let him be him and me be me. I was just trying to force my, My gifts or calling on him. On the flip side
2: of that, I've got to let other men be the heroes of my son. Yeah. Oh wow. That's hard, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Because he's every time I turn around, it's Tim Keller said this and Andy said this. (laughs) What about old pops? I mean, but it's it's, (laughs) but that's okay. That's okay. Because I realize. When he actually really began to realize that he could become a pastor and that he could preach and communicate, it wasn't me that God showed him. It was another minister and it was someone else's style where he looked at that guy and says, I could do this. I could do this. I would
0: want to do that. I would want to communicate like this. So how did you deal with that five-year journey of insecurity where for the first time you felt rattled? as a leader? Like, how did you process that personally with God and get to the point where you're okay letting your son have other men who were heroes to him?
2: Well, as it relates to me, I had to realize, okay, I'm going to just be me. I realize that God has raised me up. The way that I communicate is the way that I communicate. Obviously, there are a lot of people who like it. But at the same time, I do see what they're telling me about maybe changing my vocabulary a little mm-hmm. bit and tweaking things here and there so a younger generation or so a, an unchurched generation gets it. I get that. I can make those adjustments. But, you know, I used to sit on a stool and use the TV, and, and, and I started noticing that I wasn't as authoritative. Mm-hmm. It wasn't me. And it was Saul's armor for me. So I said, look, I'm getting rid of the stool. I do better when I stand up. I, I like to walk a little bit. These are my marks right over here. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I, used to, I used to be terrible. I'd walk way out there. Uh, but anyway, uh, I had to learn to, to, to be comfortable in my own skin. And, and then realize that what they're going to do with what they do is going to make the church young and uh, their communication styles. And we're going to have the best
0: of both worlds. Hmm. Thank you for that. So, rolling out this yeah. to the congregation, talk about the little vision yeah. circles or whatever that you guys did over the last how many months? Yeah, it's been the
1: last uh, month and a half, two months. So, so when he told me in, you know, three months ago or so, we started asking, okay, how do we, how do we help our congregation make the transition? How do we do this successfully? His big thing was... He didn't want it to become like a funeral. Hmm. And, and, and I agree because with our congregation and, you know, one of the things that Les talked about yesterday was when you're moving from early struggle to fun stage, it requires heroic leadership. Yes. And often you have, you know, that's what happens with founders. They're, they become almost mythical. <laughs> and, and, and so there was a bit of, a th- of that happening, in, you know, has happened in our church. I mean, he's just kind of a mythical leader to our church. As I said you know, yesterday, we, our church didn't have a, a, a clear vision statement. What we had was a, a, a clear leader who was, this is what we're going to do. Right. And so we followed him. Where, whatever he said, go, that's where we went. And, and that's how we did it. So it's like, so how do you navigate pulling that out of the mix? And what, what you run the risk of is people think he's leaving, he's retiring, it's over, it'll never be the same again. So, how do we, so he really wanted to avoid was this sad kind of goodbye party, like you're not going to be around anymore. And what we wanted was an opportunity to, to deal with the emotions of this because it is emotional. Yeah, it's emotional for a lot and, of people and for you guys. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it is. And it's significant and it's a big thing. And so, how, man, how do we do that? So what we, what we decided to do was to have strategic meetings um, with, well, the first bit that happened was we told our staff. So I invited my dad to an all staff and he shared what was happening with our staff of course, to them, it was not a, you know it was no news really because um, yeah, because I had been leading teams. them yeah. and he hasn't been around our staff for a couple of years now. Like he doesn't show up to our all staffs, and it's me leading all of that. And so that wasn't a huge deal. But what we did do after that is then st- I started meeting in smaller teams with all of our staff, kids ministry teams, probably ten to twelve people, sometimes a little bit more, different si- size teams. But I would meet with them and just vision cast where we're going as a church mm. in the future. Just tell them where we're going and then allow them to ask questions about roles, what's going to happen with your dad. And whenever we did the deal with our, with, with our all staff, my dad had a haircut appointment, like right, I mean, it was a really tight squeeze. And so he gets done, what's going to be the, the lead pastor? Everybody's applauding. And then he just hands me the mic and waves to everybody and just walks off. And, and everybody <laughs> was just sunset. like, Wow. So, it, you know, to, to them, it was like, he, he just, goodbye, you know, he just left. And, you know, I had to like, get a like, he's just, he's just going to get a haircut. It's no big deal. But it was like this real, um, you know, that, I had so many people afterwards go to me, that image of just you standing there and your dad walking away was like, wow. <laughs> well, he I had to like, get his hair cut. Wait a minute, it wasn't, that, that was not intentional. But that, that, actually, that actually helped us out for later, and I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. Um, so I started meeting with our staff casting vision, allowing them to ask questions. Then we set up banquets of about um, 40 to 70, somewhere in there, Mm -hmm. people up in our 180 building. Had dinner. My dad would get up, share a little bit of some updates, some business updates and some stuff that's been going on with our church. These are key influencers, some of our top givers, that kind of thing. And just said, hey, uh, here's what's happening with the church. Uh, we're selling our camp, so he gave an update with that, and then he just went into talking about transition, and then said, we're going to turn the church over to Witt on this date, and invited me to come up. I came up. I would then honor my dad, my mom. People would stand and applaud, and then I would cast vision, talk about where we're going as a church. We did that four nights out of five in a, in a week, uh, in a business week there. So did that. That was maybe three weeks ago, four weeks ago. Yeah. And then this last weekend, when it came to the... And we didn't, we, you know, we didn't tell everybody, hey, don't say anything about this. Please keep it a secret. So I, I assume words started to yeah, travel through the I'm church. Sure and so then the last two weekends in a row, he's then been speaking and been speaking about transition and speaking about... You know uh, how, how God works through multiple generations, and so the first week he did that, the, h- half the room was sitting there thinking, "I think it's about to happen." I was. Yeah. I was thinking really going, "I think he might call me up today," because it felt like that. And then, of course, last weekend, um, you know, we, we we did the transition. And one of the things that was going to happen as a part of the, the, the way we did it, he called me and said, what will happen is you're going to pray at the end of the service and then I'll just walk off while you're praying. And I, I thought about that and I thought, hang on a second, we're about to repeat this haircut thing again. Mm-hmm. Let's not do that. Because I don't want people seeing him leaving and it looking like he's no. gone. Right. So I said, hey, let's let the campus pastors in. Let let, let me and you walk off together. And I think that was a, just... I would advise this, if you're going through this, a small thing, but it can be a big thing. Man, body language and posturing yeah. and all that Very stuff important. makes a big difference. Yeah. And so people seeing the two of us walk off together, arms around each other and all that, that wasn't staged, but just, just strategic that we would leave together, I think sends a real strong signal to the church that, hey, this is, you know, he's not gone. It's not over.
0: I think you got a piece of advice from Judd. You were telling me, Judd, well, yeah. About one thing you should assume... Yeah. When you, as the new leader, are breaking news to everybody that, hey, it's going to go from my dad to me, yeah. I thought it was great advice. Yeah, he
1: just said, talk to them like they're already with you. Hmm. Don't, don't spend time trying to win them over to your side. Just talk to them like they're already bought into you. And that was invaluable advice yeah. because when you, when you do, you step in as, as the second guy. It's like you wonder, do they like me? <laughs> are, they, are, they, are they for me? What yeah, they your insecurity in can exactly. rise to you the are. surface. It can.
0: I'm not my dad. I'll never be my dad. What if it's never as good? What if it's never as big? Yep. Assume they're with you. Yep, It's good advice. Yep.
1: Great advice. What, what I wanted them to
2: realize is, I said, look, guys, there's nothing to be afraid of. He's been running the church. The last year, it's been his. I come to meetings and all the stuff that's going on that I hear, I say, man, that's cool. Do that. Yes. Yeah. I, I'm in agreement. I hadn't said no to anything. They've been killing it, okay? It's been going on really for three, but the last year, he's been the pastor. So nothing really is going to change. Yeah.
0: For you, was there anything you'd add to that process that was meaningful for you or any blanks you want to fill in about how you've communicated the change that you think would be meaningful for leaders? Well,
2: for me, the last thing I wanted was a funeral. And I didn't want people to say, Okay, Pastor George is gonna retire. But I mean right now they still want me over twenty Sundays a year in the pulpit. Yeah. And and, and, and then they want me to be involved in some other areas that, that I'm I'm good at, I want to be there. And so and I'm not going anywhere. I mean, we're we're not gonna deliver it or not, i and plugging going to the mountains. We can't leave our kids. We we, we love this place. Uh, I hate humidity. I hate the weather right now. I hate Oklahoma in the summertime. I could live in Colorado that quick. I got the money to go there. But I, I, I can't. I can't leave these people. This is my family. This is where I belong. I'm planted here. I'm not going anywhere. Hmm.
0: What's been the best part of this process so far for each of you? Who wants to go first?
2: Every question I've had about wit, Because there have been a few times I've wondered, okay, is he really being loyal here? And God's answered it every single time. He's always come back with, he passed the test. He passed the test. He passed the test. He's never let me down. Every single time, God has shown me his heart that he's trustworthy. I've seen that. There hadn't been a single conflict or problem or anything that's risen up where that he hasn't come back and shown me his heart's 100% pure.
1: How about for you? Getting to do this with my dad. Wow. Yeah. Just getting like to continue to work with them. Hmm.
0: What about uh, challenges? What's been the most challenging? And you guys have been very transparent about that. What's been like, Huh? Oh, boy, that was rougher than we thought. Same answer. Getting to work with my dad. <laughs> So
1: true, so true.
0: You know, the family dynamic is a really unique dynamic, too. It's hard enough with two leaders who are not related to each other, but when you throw in a life together, that's pretty challenging.
2: This roots back to my wife and her family. Her dad was one of seven brothers and sisters. They all got along wonderfully. My family, conflict. But part of the reason that... Her family got along so well, they just drew borders that they didn't cross. And they just, things that weren't their business, they stayed out of it. They learned restraint. And that's the only way you're going to get along. If you begin to express your feelings every time you're frustrated, you're not going to get along with anybody. And I learned that from my wife's family, that they loved each other, and I knew that there were things that they genuinely disagreed about, but they thought, why bring it up? And in a short period of time, it passed, <laughs> you know? And our kids, all four of them, married spouses that were different. Their families were different from our family, every one of them. But we've learned, just shut up, and, and we've seen the beauty of how God added all these wonderful people into our family. And It fits.
0: Hmm. Any surprises along the way in this transition? You're like, oh, didn't see that coming. Wow.
1: You know, I don't know if it's surprising or what. It just, it kind of goes back to your last question. I would just say the, the internal part of, of this is a, is a discipline, I think. Hmm. It, was a, it was an active choice. Some of the feelings or frustrations that you feel, you, can't, you know, there would be days where we would be in meetings or something and he would say something to me that I just, I don't know, just rub me the wrong way. Or, or sometimes even directly he would say stuff to me that I would think, you didn't have to say it like that. You hmm. could have been, you could have been cooler about that. Like it didn't have to come off that way. And, and, you know, and when those things happen as probably we all do, you replay those conversations in your head over and over and over again. What you really home. mean? Yeah, so you're, I'm at home that? and I'm thinking, why, you know, why this? And, it's, and it, those, those thoughts and that conversation is just rolling back through your head. I had to actively stop those thoughts in my head. Just say, I'm not going to think about this. And then I had to reverse that and actively choose because the, the, the reality is if I took... This is what happens. You, you, there are going to be frustrations. I don't care who you work for. You're yeah. going to be frustrated with anybody. But, but what I found was that, yeah, there's little blips here that you're like, that's annoying or that, that, that bothered me. But when you take, what we do is we end up focusing on those little encounters. And we forget mm. to step back and look at the whole of our relationship and go, you know, True. when I stop and just back up a little bit and I go, How good has my dad been to me? This, even if you think he's completely wrong about this, this is very small in proportion to everything else that has happened here. And when I think about how God has blessed me, blessed my family here, what God's doing in our church. And so I had to, but I had to actively do that. That was like a discipline and for a season, it was almost, ai won't say daily, but at least mm-hmm. weekly, like I was having to actively spend time in prayer, just, God, thank you for my dad. And, it, and a lot of that stuff, it, what it does, it keeps, it, it keeps the bitterness from getting into your heart where it's like, where you just kind of stew on that stuff and let it go. It just turns from bitterness to joy and then you can go back in and you're kind of refreshed again. You can go back to work and you're not bothered by any of that anymore. You don't hold on to those things so long. You know, that was so- an active thing for me.
2: As the older generation, you don't see how you frustrate your kids. You don't even see it. So what he's talking about, I didn't see that. I thought I was completely reasonable. You meant nothing by it. I meant nothing by it. No, you just, you don't realize it. You you, you don't realize it.
0: You know, and it's interesting, and I think regardless of how great our dads are, and I have a great dad, every son grows up with father issues. You can talk to people who say father issues are one of the number one problems behind society's problems today. What's remarkable about what you're talking about is you're dealing with leadership issues and resolving your father issues at the same time, in real time, while preparing to take over from your dad. At an age, actually, you're 41, at an age where a lot of people, like usually for guys somewhere between 35 and 45, all their father issues seem to come to the surface or whatever. And you're dealing with all that in real time. And I think, you know, something I learned from a mutual friend, Reggie Joyner, is you fight... For each other's hearts, you don't fight with people. And I see yeah. you guys fighting for the relationship with yes. each other, and fighting for um, even this position and this this transition, which I think is remarkable.
1: That's absolutely a great way to describe it because I've watched him fight for me.
0: Yeah, and I know he's seen me
1: fight for him.
0: Yes. So, uh, any surprises from the congregation? Have people struggled with? Uh, the transition, have you had people of your generation going, oh, it'll never be the same?
2: Everything I've heard so far has been extremely positive, very supportive, and I think everybody gets it. And, 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 and the people have a lot of confidence in Witt. Yeah. And um, uh, one of the great things is his communication in the last two years has just really gotten better, Yeah. really strong, and our people love him
0: a sign of a healthy transition. It surprised me too. And I mean, I didn't leave either. I'm still carrying the majority of the teaching load at Connexus. But I don't think anybody said, oh man, that's so too bad. You're kind of like, okay, maybe I wasn't as good as I thought. (laughs) Nobody really seems to be in mourning. On the other hand, you're still around too. And it's also a sign you've chosen well. The
1: the surprise to me was in a positive way. Yeah. It, It blew me away. What I've been telling everybody is just Saturday night, you know, um I expected um you know honestly I, I we hadn't really talked about how the service was gonna go. So if you've seen the video, watch it, it's powerful. But um uh, he called me Saturday at like two. He said, okay, wait, I think I know how we're gonna do this tonight. And, but at that point I had no clue. <laughs> so this is Saturday, two o'clock. And uh and and so he kind of explains how we might run through this. I had a few tweaks, I called him back, asked if we could make a couple of changes. So I was, you know, planning. He was going to say, "All right, Witz going to be the lead pastor of the church." And I thought, "All right, golf clap. People will will be fine with it." And I'll come up on the stage, and then I'm going to honor my dad, and they're going to go nuts, and that's fine. I knew that, and it was like, I, I mean, I'd already settled it. It was done deal in my in my mind and my heart. That's how it will work, and I will uh, I'll honor him. And they'll go crazy, and then you know we'll get to know each other over the next several years, and. On Saturday night, when he said, it's time for Whit George to leave this church, people just instantaneously started applauding, and then they stood to their feet and started cheering. Yeah. And he didn't call me up onto the stage. I just walked up because I was like, well, I think he's not going to say anything else. That that must be my... And I, I just stood there for several seconds, just just blown away at the reaction of our people. And that that just surprised me but i really think that had to do with how well he's he's set me up and his choice to affirm me not just this weekend but for years hmm. before this and he, so 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 you know one of the guys i was talking uh, i was talking to uh, van Metzke earlier who who uh, has been at all kinds of different churches, and he was just telling me, you know, he goes, man, it's like your dad has like this huge pile of chips in front of him on the table, and he just, you know, because he's earned all of this yeah. respect from people over the years, and now he's just pushing his chips over to you, and it's like they, they're, they're totally bought in because, because they were bought into him. If he buys into you, it's like everybody buys into you, and, I, and, and that just kind of, for me, was a great visual representation of the gift
0: my dad has given me. Hmm. Any um, reaction from your families? I mean, your family and your family. How has this been from a family perspective, this transition for both of you?
1: I'll let you go on that one, Dad.
0: Well, you know,
2: <clears throat> there are two things you deal with as you get older. And it's not just giving up the position, but it's just recognizing, doggone, I'm, I'm, I'm getting older. And, and there's going to be some stuff I won't be able to do again you know i'm'm I'm, uh, I'm going kicking and screaming you know i'm still climbing mountains and going to the wilderness and all that crazy stuff and and but but at the same time, I realize I am getting older, and that's you know just the thoughts of your own mortality uh, you, you don't even think about that when you're forty fifty you you don't think about it, but you do when you're sixty five wow and not that I'm planning to go anywhere any anytime soon but but it's just that's that's part of it. You realize, okay, this 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 flew by. This was quick. Thirty years was a blip, you know. And that's that's one thought. And um, so it's a it's a personal thing as well as it is a, a, a ministerial thing. And then then just giving up the identity. But yet the people are so good. And Whit framed this really well. He said. You don't have to think less of my dad to think more of me. That's good, and that is what caused the congregation. I think they realize we're not having to make a choice here, and that's what's so cool. They didn't. We didn't make them make a choice.
1: Hmm. I, I think there's been a little, you know, uh, a little bit of navigation with, you know, I have two sisters. My brother being in California, I don't think it's as tough for him. He's been on his own, you know, so his. It's a little different for him. My. My sisters, you know, I, I, I spent time with my younger sister, my older sister, which uh, is not older than me, but the older of the two, um, had a little, you know, it's been emotional for her just because she's always been. And this is one of the things I know the Mullins said, if they underestimated anything, it was the family, the personal side of this uh, in their transition. And it's gone really well for us. Um, it's gone really well. But still, there's just feelings attached to all of this. You know, with my sister, Charity, you know, her dad has always been the pastor. And right. now, now it's her brother. Yeah. And, and, and while, that, while, while yeah. maybe you think, well, what difference does that make? At least to me, if initially you go, wow, why, that's weird. Why would that be anything? But it is. It's yes. something. And one of the things that you learn about transitions is that people, you know, People respond to transitions emotionally and, and the emotions that they feel aren't always logical and you can't judge those feelings. Hmm. You just have to, it's like a, you know, when people experience a death or a loss, there's, there's a gamut of emotions that they run and you can't logically talk them out of those emotions. You just have to walk with them through it. Yeah. And, and so you don't come in and say, well, that's absurd. Why would you feel that way? You shouldn't think like that. You just, you just try to identify with them and say, "Yeah, I, I, wow, I can see why you might feel that way or whatever." But you, you know, you can't. You can't. And, and no one's being unreasonable, but you just don't try to approach or attack those kinds of feelings
0: with with reason. Do you think there'll be some grieving along the way? I do. How so? I just think there's going to
1: be. I just think people because it's different. Yeah. You know. The the closest thing I can explain this uh, or liken this to, Carrie, for me, is my grandfather passed away of Alzheimer's a few years back, and he's my my mom's dad. Wonderful, wonderful man. I loved him dearly, but we didn't have a close relationship. He didn't. He wasn't the kind of person you knew closely. At least, you know, as a grandson, he wasn't that kind of a guy. He was a very austere kind of a man. But still, you loved him and respected him. And when he passed away, I, I hadn't seen him in a couple of years. He, had been, he was here, but he was in a, a home, and he, he wouldn't have known me. And I just didn't feel like, I was like, I just, that's going to be so weird. I don't want to see him while well, he doesn't know who I am. And I feel guilty about that, but I, I just, and then he just suddenly, he was just gone. And so I'm flooded with all of these emotions and how do I feel and what's going on. And then the day of his, his funeral, um, you know, we have the funeral and I'm driving back home and I'm just thinking, I'm just processing all of this and I'm thinking, I'm, I'm feeling all of this and I'm processing, why am I feeling these this sense of loss? It's not as though I had a relationship with him over the, la- you know, like the later years of his life or even before that, that we were close. What am I feeling? And I realized that it was the closing of a chapter of my life, because my hmm. grandparents lived in West Texas, and we would go there to visit, and we, we did this all the time, and we had family gatherings and reunions out there, and I realized that that was never going to happen again. Now, I hadn't been there in years, and they didn't even live there anymore, but, but that chapter But you was just gone. knew that was over, and I, I, I just, I, whenever you transition something like this, I, there's, are, are things, is he gone? No, but there's just certain days of Church on the Move that are, are, won't be there anymore. That chapter has closed. And so there's emotions associated with all of that. So I think it will probably hit different people in waves over
0: stages. Yeah. Any thoughts on grieving? Any thoughts on what now? Grieving, uh, grieving and how that'll work or will it work?
2: I, uh, I haven't had time to think about that. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you know, as a kid, my family moved like 21 times before I was 18. Wow. And I bounced back and forth between parents when they separated and split. And I didn't get to grow up with my brother. We were alone and separated. And so I said goodbye so much when I starting when I was thirteen, actually when I was ten, the goodbyes started. And they ripped my guts out. And I don't like goodbyes. And that's why when I heard about this transition, there needs to be a grieving process. Nope. Nope. I'm not saying goodbye. I'm standing here. You can't get rid of me. I won't leave the whole thing, but but I'm 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 here. I I, I refuse to let it go there.
0: Appreciate that
2: and, and I, I just I'm not going to I'm not going gonna, gonna to be happy because I honestly believe that this church is going to see the best stuff they've ever done Kerry mm-hmm. I, I had a chance because of working with kids I got to go do all the big camp meetings I knew Oral Roberts, Kenneth Hagan John Osteen, Dr. Lester Summerall T.L. Osborne I didn't just know them I knew them well and i i was in meetings with them behind closed doors being working with the kids i got a chance to be around them after the services in the green rooms and that sort of thing and and i got ordained by kenneth hagan when i was 21 uh, this is back before there was a rhema so i was around these guys and and um I got to see all of these men of God do the things that they did, but most of them carried the torch for their ministries right up to their very last day. Yeah, There were a few exceptions to that, but right up to the very last day. And when they passed, there was nobody who said, Boy, if Brother So-and-so only had five more years, think of what he could have accomplished. If he would only had two more years, just think of what he could have done. Nobody said that because they were done and they'd been done for a while and I started thinking why do we have to ride the horse till he dies why can't we pass off the mail pouch to a younger guy on a fresh horse and this thing just keep going why does it have to be like that why do we have to let it just go to the ground why can't we pass it while it's got its momentum
0: love that yeah love that What would you say to the young leader who's sitting where you were a few years ago, thinking, I should be the guy in charge, or who knows he or she is going to be the person in charge, and yet there's going to be a delay on that? I mean, you've given us good insight, but if you had to say, okay, two minutes, give him some advice, what would you
1: say? Yeah, I mean, I would say, sort of way, I'd say trust in the sovereignty of God. If God's called you and he's going to put you in that position, then it's going to happen. Hmm. And you can rest in that. Like, you don't have to make it happen. I like the way Ed Young used to say it, let the game come to you. Right. Just sit back, be faithful where you're at, and let the game come to you. You don't have to try to drum it up or build a platform or build a Hmm. following. If God's got his hand on you, it will happen. Jesus said, I will build my church. So it's, it's not you who's doing it. And so to me, you just, it's, you got to cooperate with that, like get out of the way, stop trying to make it happen on your own, stop trying to think about your career path or what <laughs> this particular job is going to set you up for in the future. Right. But as I was saying, you know, uh, yesterday is settle your calling, like go where you're called and stay there until you're called someplace else and be faithful hmm. there. That's, and that's, that's really hard to do because we live in a world and, in a, and, and, and our world is this way. And then I think consequently our churches have become this way and our younger leaders have become this way. You know, because there's so much uh, leadership information out there, podcasts, and you can listen to the, the world's greatest leaders, what's happening is we're running into a bunch of younger leaders who have all of this information and, and think to themselves, well, why isn't my leader doing the same thing? Yeah. So then they get frustrated because... My pastor's not, an, like, like, we don't have a great vision or mission vision values. We don't have any of this. We don't have any of that. This is not a great organization. I'm going to bail and go try to get on at a place that's really sexy, that's got a big following, that if I could just be a part of that whole team, it would, it would just be amazing. And what I've, you know, over the years, what you learn, and if, if you get opportunity to be around different leaders in different churches is, you know, the grass isn't always greener on the other side. And there's <laughs> Every problems organization has
0: issues. Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely. And, and, so, and, and, and what we're not here to do is try to find the best church to go work at. We're here to go where God calls us. Yes. So there's a submission in that. Wow. And I think that's really hard for this, like this generation. It's really tough to be submitted because it's like, but I could do so much. Yeah, you could, mm-hmm. but, it, but it, not my will. Yeah. Your will be done.
0: Let God make it happen. That's I, it. I think that's great that's it. advice. Um, for you they are leaders who are in your role and maybe they sense, okay, I'm getting tired or I've done this for a long time or, um, you know, people who haven't even thought of succession. What would you say to them? What's your advice to them?
2: Uh, it's going to take an investment on your part. Hmm. For me, I began it years and years ago, not just when Whit came on staff. I invested in his generation when these guys were... Little, 10 years old. Uh, all these great young men and people ask me, where'd you get these guys? I've had him since he was 10. He came to a birthday party at our house. And he's been part of our family ever since. Hmm. And we always chose to embrace these little guys of Whit, Gabe's age, Charity's age. We, we embraced them all when they were little. Treated them with respect, regard, and always made a place for them in our home. Our place was the hangout. And so having kids around was never a problem. We always had kids around. We always had young people. And we made an investment in that. I used to tell the Levi, I'm gonna kill the boys. I'm gonna kill them both. <laughs> because they're, they're so stinking noisy. And I realized I gotta make an investment. We built them a room in the garage and they could make all the noise they wanted to make. That was an investment. It cost me a lot of money. But it kept them alive. And, and I joke about that. But what it did is we had to adjust as parents along the way to keep our kids close. Right. And we made those decisions. So really, I haven't had a struggle. We've always had young people around. Some pastors didn't do that for whatever reasons. Maybe they couldn't afford to. Maybe they didn't have the great connections. I don't know. But you've got to pull somebody in and begin to make that connection. And then understand when that young person gets the transition, they're gonna do things differently. And you gotta be okay with that. You can't have it both ways. You can't give it up and then also at the same time have everything the way you want it.
0: Yeah. Now I know we're hours away from the official announcement on the weekend, so this might be a little bit premature. Um, but what do you see as next for you? What's exciting exactly. you as you move into the future? You know, we've got a ranch and I love hosting
2: pastures and getting around a campfire. Yeah. And uh, we hunt quail, we hunt deer and elk and, and, and I'm I'm structuring this so I can have over a hundred guys a year for like three, four days at a time. And I want to be able to sit down with them and, and rather than having an agenda, um I want them to be able to ask me questions about whatever it is that's burdening to them. Sometimes they've got a teenage son they're concerned about, or sometimes it's a building program. Or it's a, how do you raise money? We always let the conversation go to wherever someone's heart is burdened. And I love getting guys out there like that. And, and, and that's actually going to take up six months of my time every year. It's pretty cool. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that.
0: That's awesome. What are you most excited about as you look to the future or nervous about?
1: You know, I'm excited for our church. I, I, can feel, I can feel our church in a place that, I don't know, I've kind of been waiting for it to be for a long time. Hmm. And there's a lot of groundswell starting to build about our future, where we're going. And I think there's a lot of multiplication ahead for church on the move. And so I'm really excited to see how all of that plays out. It's
0: great. Yeah. Let me pray over us. Yeah, let me do that. Father, I just thank you for what you are doing right now in this season here at Church on the Move, and thank you for a transition that to date has gone as well and as gracefully as it has. It's not easy. Thank you for giving uh, both Pastor Willie and Wit the wisdom to get on their knees, to to be humble, to repent, uh, to reset, to rethink, and to give each other the benefit of the doubt. Um. Thank you for a vision that is bigger than one man or two men or two leaders. Thank you for a vision for your church that really goes far beyond what any of us can do or even claim credit for. And I would pray that the best days of Church on the Move are ahead and that the best days for Pastor George, the best days for Wit, are ahead. And I pray, God, that you would just do something more than we could ask or imagine, and that we would see more churches like this, or what Todd and Tom Mullins have done um, out in Florida, that we would see more and more examples of churches that are doing transitions well so that your mission can move forward. Thank you so much, God. Thank you so much for this time together. Thanks for their candor, their wisdom, their insight, and their honesty. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, thanks so much. This has been great. Thanks so much, Pastor. Thank you. You know, I'm so excited uh, to have this conversation with Witt and Willie. It was was powerful and moving in its own right. But as I meet church leaders all across America and Canada, this is the conversation that keeps coming up. Like what is going to happen with these churches that were started by incredible leaders? Uh, Is what started with me going to end with me? That's sort of the question as as I framed it um, for us at Connexus Church. And I hope the answer is no. And I think this just gives more hope on how to do transition well. And whatever you're leading, let that just be a challenge for you. Like somebody's got to follow you and how are you setting them up to do that? So anyway, uh, I'm really glad to have been able to bring this to you. Next week, three-year anniversary, big celebration, big giveaway, free Starbucks, <laughs> a complete digital library of everything I've produced. And, and we'll throw some analog stuff in there as well. And my guest is New York Times bestselling author, John Acuff. John has become a good friend over the years and uh, I sat down with him for about ninety minutes and kind of deconstructed his habits, his patterns, his his whole approach that has made him who he is today. You're gonna love it.
1: In the '90s, people were like, I'm gonna buy a Bowflex and like get ripped and like, and they didn't. And so I saw this great need. I saw this great curiosity in my own life, and I thought, okay. So for instance, like last year I read 10 books. This year I'll read 156. Like that's three books a week. Like because I learned how to finish. And once you do, it's infectious, like you keep
0: going. And the best way to make sure you don't miss it is to subscribe. Also, the easiest way to make sure you don't miss out on the contest and the free Starbucks and the giveaway next week. So uh, you can do that for free on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember to go into the show notes and follow me on those three social media channels, um, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all the links are there, and that way uh, maybe you'll get your Starbucks for free next Tuesday even before you load up <laughs> the podcast. That would be great. Thanks again to TrainedUp.Church. Make sure you go check them out. And the Future Forward Conference in Pittsburgh, October 24th through 26, right before the Orange Tour. Same location as the Orange Tour, actually. You can get all the information at FutureForwardConference.com. Thanks so much for listening. We're back next Tuesday with a fresh episode. We'll drop some uh, good stuff for you. And we're going to celebrate. Thanks so much, guys. You make this an amazing journey. And I hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.